You're listening to Don't Waste Water. We weren't a university-backed startup. We were a bunch of motivated young engineers who wanted to explore technology in different ways of doing things. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. Ten times more capital is going into battery manufacturing plants than lithium extraction itself. And so you can build all these battery plants in the world that you want, but the big concern that many people fear and even Mr. Elon Musk was tweeting about this recently, is there going to be enough lithium to supply those battery plants? I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm glad to welcome Benjamin Sparrow as my guest. The first project was quite literally out of this world. Our very first purchase order was from NASA. Benjamin is the CEO and co-founder of Saltworks Technologies. Some analysts and others struggle to fit us in a box. Being innovators and entrepreneurs, we tend not like to be fit in a box. Saltworks is pioneering the future of sustainable water on a mission to provide industry-leading technologies for the toughest wastewaters. The Church of England has done more for the industrial wastewater reuse sector, in my view, than any regulator has or ha ever has. Let me breach a secret. I don't own a Tesla Model 3. But if I would, it would feature one major similarity with my phone, my camera or my cordless drill it relies on a lithium-ion battery to work. Hence, this question, where does this lithium come from? Let's have a quick look at lithium's history. It's been discovered in 1800, used to treat mental diseases and also to produce nuclear weapons. But since 2007, its dominant use has been in lithium-ion batteries. To produce it, you have to evaporate solars or salt lakes and then refine it to the famous battery grade, I know what you're thinking right now. Great story, all cool, but what has it to do with the water treatment and the water industry? Well, it turns out that the best source of lithium beyond solars and salt lakes is to be found in various kinds of brines. It can be desalination's byproduct of reverse osmosis, it can be the residues of water treatment in regions where lithium is widely used, and maybe even more interesting, it can be widely found in some specific industrial wastewaters. But while it may be there, how do you catch that lithium? What can you do with it? When is it interesting to reap it? Benjamin will explain to us all of that and more in just a minute. For now, let me remind you that if you like what you hear, please share this episode around you and tell your friends what you liked about it. This is how I will be able to keep attracting incredible guests like Benjamin on that microphone. See, you have skin in that game too. Come on, do it, and I'll meet you on the other side. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. Hi, Benjamin. Welcome to the show. Good morning from Vancouver. That makes for the best and the smoothest of all transitions to ask you to send me a postcard from Vancouver. Well, in Vancouver, it's a rare, beautiful, sunny day. The spring is arriving after a long winter with lots of rain. My past guests from Vancouver told me it's a rainforest. Is it really true? It is uh, a beautiful place, lots of rain, lots of fresh water. And surprisingly, even though Canada has 
an abundance of freshwater, we also tend to have an abundance of water technology companies who are working to develop the next generation of water technologies. And one of this abundance of technology company is Saltworks, the company you created and co-founded, if I'm right. So can you tell me what Saltworks is? So you elevate your pitch to Saltworks and what led you to create Saltworks? Our official elevator pitch is that we deliver innovative solutions that treat industrial wastewaters, more specifically concentrating brines, RO rejects, achieving zero liquid discharge, and increasingly so refining lithium. What led us to start Saltworks was to develop technologies that industry would need after 2020. And of course, we started a decade earlier. As you know, you need to in the water industry. I'm just wondering, out of all the possibilities you could have if you want to create a business or if you want to go even in, in the water industry, why did you pick these tough wastewaters, these brines, and why did you say that is going to be your area? The same reason that I'm a sailor. I'm a masochist. I love water and have a deep, amount, deep appreciation of water in the aquatic environment and the ecosystem in the ocean. But one needs a tremendous amount of patience in the water industry. Don't get me wrong, it would have been far easier to have been an entrepreneur in the real estate field or other fields. But water is something special. And, and we both know that. Not only is it essential for life, but it's also probably one of the most undervalued and overlooked important elements on the planet. I do not want to use the word commodity. So you're looking at this very specific area of the very difficult to treat wastewaters. And you said... You're trying to concentrate the, the, those brines. What was the challenge when you started all of that? And is it really different now that you're not no longer 10 years early, but that you're in the middle of the game? Five years ago, I would say that it was warm up. And now using a baseball analogy, it's really inning one of industrial wastewater recycling, zero liquid discharge and, and lithium. It's still very, very early in the game. But getting back to what led us into this field, In all honesty, when we started, we were most interested in seawater desalination, working on developing technologies literally out of a garage. We weren't a university-backed startup. We were a bunch of motivated young engineers who wanted to explore technology in different ways of doing things. And um, we patented a, and built a pilot of a pretty novel prototype. It was operating on seawater right in Vancouver on Burrard Inlet and doing some very interesting things. And uh, we kept all of that in stealth for... Uh, a little over a year. And then when we came out of stealth, industry came knocking and said, well, hang on, this is seawater desalination and your whole innovation is based on using low-grade heat and atmospheric dryness. And these industries said, well, we don't have that. But what we do have is we have lots of salty water and lots of waste heat. Can you help us put the two together to generate fresh water? And that's what got us on the industrial water recycling track. That's also what led to our Uh, first Series A investments from some major industrial companies. Series A, is that when BP came on board or was that later? That's correct. Series A was a combination of industrials. British Petroleum was one of them. ConocoPhillips, Tech Resources, who's a large integrated mining company in Canada, and Synovus Energy, a large integrated oil sands company in Canada. Prior to that, we had some seed and founding investments, including from an engineering company like Peacehole. But the majority of the company is still owned by the employees. So when you have this kind of company which are investing in you from your Series A on, I guess it's a good sign that you're onto something which is really specific. We hope so. We were fortunate to have them as investors because they were focused on the same mission, robust, reliable technology for industry, not a quick pump in sales and share price and then a sale, but really focusing on the core technology the industry needed. And that alignment of mission was critical for us. 
So you were starting from that idea that you would be solving a challenge in the municipal world. You ended up in the industrial world. What is the first project you're working on? And what did you actually solve with that very first project? <laughs> Interesting you ask. The first project was quite literally out of this world. Our very first purchase order was from NASA. Using our advanced ion exchange membrane technology and novel on the ground to explore water recycle on the space station. And NASA, they had a very intelligent gentleman who believed in what we were doing. And um, that really led to a kickstart. And it helped us with the industrial customers because then our industrial customers, the engineers who equally thought it was worth taking a look, were able to report to their higher ups, well, they're working for NASA. So if it's good enough for NASA, maybe we should take a look. That's what kickstarted it all for us on the commercial sales side. Yeah, I guess when you have that on your business card, that's your NASA approved, that must be opening doors. I can imagine. I had Cambrian Innovation at the microphone um, now a long while ago, and, and they were also selected and picked by, by NASA. So it sounds like NASA has a track record of discovering fascinating new technologies and, and bringing them a bit further. I mean, giving them a bit early street cred, if I might say so. You're spot on. And uh, they're doing something important, not only with the science that they do, but they are pumping wind into the sails of innovators out there. And whether it goes to the space station or not, a lot of these technologies end up adding value back here on Terra Nova. So you mentioned ion exchange membranes. What is exactly your special source and the core of your technology? Saltworks isn't a single technology. Saltworks' mission is to pioneer the future of sustainable water and now increasingly so lithium extraction. We focus on delivering solutions. Those solutions can be a system, they can be a unit operation, or they can be a core individual technology. So we do a variety of things, all focused around recycling industrial wastewater and extracting lithium. But to answer your question about our secret sauce in terms of ion exchange membranes, we have brilliant scientists who developed a highly robust, homogeneous ion exchange membrane. What does that mean? It's a polymer that's cast as a uniform polymer. There's not multiple layers. It can operate and perform in the face of solvents that would previously dissolve membranes or cause challenges for them. So hence the oil and gas link to some of our shareholders. And then very interestingly, what it can do is it can split columns in the periodic table of the elements. So it can split monovalent and divalent ions. No doubt nanofiltration can do that and that has a fit and we use it too and don't compete against it. But these monovalent selective membranes, they're a technology that I've described as a niche technology where it has a fit, it fits extremely well but it's not a solution for all. And that focus is recycling wastewaters that are blown down based on chlorides. We do a whole pile of other things as well. Again, all, however, focused around industrial wastewater reuse and extraction and refining of lithium. Was this extraction and refining of lithium there from day one, or did it grow at some point when you discovered your technology was able to do that, or your portfolio of technologies was able to do that? It, it grew over time. We were no doubt aware of it and, and keeping an eye on it. And then the lithium industry started to pull us into their industry. The exact same technologies that we use for manipulating ions in water to recycle challenging industrial wastewaters are the same technology and kit that we use to extract and refine lithium. They do not look any differently. So here we have a widget and we can apply it in two different key markets. Beneficially, both of those markets are hopefully contributing something positive to the future of the planet. Actually, I have to tell you, I'm somehow 90 episodes in into that podcast, and still sometimes I, I stumble upon the gem, like your process of extracting lithium. And I might be a total layman and a total muggle, and that might be common sense, but to me it was absolutely new. 
I was like, oh gosh, in, in the world which is looking for electrification, which is looking for more batteries and everything, and which on the same hand has this water scarcity problem, and which tries to solve this water scarcity problem with more desalination, which also creates a new problem with more brines, and you come and you say, wait, there are two problems, and I kill two birds with one stone. It sounds almost too good to be true. No, you're right. And it is too good to be true. These technologies are not a fit everywhere, but we're seeing that they are needed technologies. Don't believe me, believe purchase orders, believe financial growth, believe profitability. And uh, so both business lines selling the same technologies are doing very well. And the demand is increasing rapidly. What is the main outcome today? Are you going to industries and, and bring this lithium element as a welcome side effect? Or are you targeting especially that lithium production? So you become a direct uh, competitor to the, the salaries and the salt lakes of this world, which are producing lithium today. In the lithium extraction industry, it's very unique. So I wouldn't call us a competitor because there's so much insatiable demand. Put simply, I've heard this quoted elsewhere that 10 times more capital is going into battery manufacturing plants than lithium extraction itself. And so you can build all these battery plants in the world that you want, but the big concern that many people fear, and even Mr. Elon Musk was tweeting about this recently, is there going to be enough lithium to supply those battery plants? We need all the lithium that we can find. The solars are a uh, very good resource. You can take technologies like what Saltworks does and others and bolt them onto the solars and it will boost their production. You can equally take technologies like what Saltworks does and others and you can extract lithium from unconventional resources, specifically places in North America or Europe that have not been blessed by Mother Nature the same way that the solars have, with really beneficial chemistry and a net evaporation climate. Evaporation ponds don't fit very well in North America or Europe, both from an environmental standpoint in terms of atmospheric evaporation, but also from a geography and land cost, etc. So if we compare one-to-one, -one, which is, I guess, totally stupid, but if you compare one-to-one -one a seller and, and, and your process, what is the magnitude in the difference in cost between one and the other? Just to, to see if we are speaking of a totally different scale or if you could be wiping out the process which takes one year to produce some lithium. We would never wipe that out. Absolutely not, and nor would we compete with it. If there wasn't an insatiable demand for lithium and I had $10 to invest and there was room to expand the solars, I would put nine and a half of those dollars into the solars. It's a proven process. Um, it is much more economical than... Let's call it the machinery way of extracting lithium. It has its challenges. Some of those are overstated by certain companies who are trying to sell their magic beans. But the solars work, and when they're managed quite effectively, their environmental performance can be not that bad. And equally, these statements about how solars take 18 months to start up and produce lithium, well, sure, that might be true. But producing and installing machinery also takes 18 months. And at the end of the day, And I'll quote somebody else here, but at the end of the day, a 20,000 ton per year lithium plant, whether it's a solar or a machinery-based one, is a 20,000 ton per year. Once it started up, it's pushing out 20,000 tons per year. What one reads online about solars taking a long time to start up, they also need to think about the time it takes to produce, install, and start up a machinery-based plant. So what is the typical treatment train that you put in those processes? Where does it start? Where does it end? What's your core technology in that? And what do you source by third parties. Sure. So the typical treatment train, which has not been practiced by anybody at a full scale in North America or Europe yet, is two-step. Step one, direct lithium extraction. 
also known as DLE, and then step two, CRC, concentrate, refine, and convert. Saltworks plays specifically in step two, concentrate, refine, and convert. That's exactly what the ponds do in the solars. They concentrate, and then they add chemicals, and they refine, and then they convert. So Saltworks is a machinery-based CRC company, concentrate, refine, and convert. We can bolt on to uh, lithium resources without that step one that I spoke about, and I'll get into more detail in a second. But we're also finding that our technologies are very good fit for after DLE. Now, DLE is still a nascent technology, and I can get into that and explain it if you like. We're DLE agnostic. We work with various DLE players. We help them get the best results after their DLE step, which is where they take dilute lithium out of the ground, often in a very saline brine, and they try to turn that into what we'll call a dirty lithium chloride solution. It's less dirty than it was coming out of the ground. It still has pollutants in it. It might be slightly concentrated, but it's more beneficial to refine. Equally, that DLE process, its extract, could go into an evaporation pond, and you could practice what the Solars do. You would boost the performance of the Solars. And I can get into DLE with more into more detail if you like. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, so one very important thing to remember about DLE, actually there's a couple. First off, there's many billions of dollars of uh, bets on the stock market, Wall Street, on DLE. So a huge amount of capital is behind it and a very rapid pace of innovation. However, opinion of one that some others share, nobody would like DLE to work and to be economic better than the folks who operate the Solars, the evaporation ponds. They've been looking at it for 20 years. They would love to be able to put a DLE technology upstream of their ponds that would concentrate the lithium reduce the TDS, all of a sudden your evaporation pond infrastructure that is built, you'd boost the production capacity. Maybe 2x, maybe 4x, depending on the DLE claims, maybe 10x. So there's a huge business case for them to adopt DLE. The reasons they haven't, however, is the cost, and very specifically, the wash water. DLE, the way it runs today, consumes notable quantities of wash water. And when you're in the desert, you have very little fresh water. And so again, coming back to the innovation, the capital being poured in is that if people can solve that wash water problem, if they can lower the cost, if they can improve performance, then DLE will have a brighter future. I never explain what DLE is. What DLE is in its current form is it's essentially ion exchange. There's different types of it, but you flow a brine containing lithium past an absorbing material. It might be a resin or a powder or a bead. Lithium absorbs onto that material. You then wash that resin powder or bead with wash water to push the brine out. And then you elute the lithium from that absorbent material. Sometimes you use water to do that. Sometimes you use hydrochloric acid. And so at the end of the day, what you're left with is a lithium chloride solution with some pollutants. And then you get into the step two, CRC. Concentrate, refine, and convert it. And that's where salt work starts. That's uh, let me try to guess. So CRC, so that's what you do. Concentrate must be a membrane process. Yes. Yep. To the maximum extent possible. And then one needs to get into boiling water. Okay. Then refine. Here I'm out of ideas. <laughs> sure. Sure. We use our brine refine technology and or ion exchange resins. This is where you remove pollutants for the lithium byproducts, calcium, magnesium. They're the usual suspects. Okay. And convert? Convert is you convert. So now you have a concentrated juiced up solution of lithium chloride, and then you convert it into something the battery manufacturers can take specifically lithium carbonate. And how do you do that? Or lithium hydroxide. One way to do it is you take that lithium chloride solution and you add sodium bicarbonate or soda ash, and you'll precipitate lithium carbonate. Sounds easy to do it to battery grade. 
there's a ton of technology involved. Or you can convert it to lithium hydroxide. And there's two pathways to do that. I can get into it if you like. Well, b b before that, I, I let the engineer in me be excited about the process. That's why I'm going now in the nitty gritty details of the techniques. But I'm coming back to my question about about the core of what you do. So if I take the CRC, if I get it right, the core of your unique edge uh, in that market comes in the first two ones. So concentrate and refine, so the membranes and the ion exchange. Concentrate, refine, but also conversion too. And crystallize. And it's okay. the exact... So three, the full CRC. Okay. Exactly. In the exact same kit that we use to help industry recycle industrial wastewater. We refine, remove pollutants. We concentrate with membrane systems to the maximum extent possible. And then in ZLD, we crystallize the same kit found in the lithium industry. And that is what, what surprised me as well when I was uh, really diving in, in the rabbit hole that, that your website was for me when I was preparing for that discussion is that I know in that ZLD sphere, some EPC companies that really assume that they don't have like in-house technologies and they would just bundle everything. And I know pure players, which are really one of those steps and would be just promoting one of these steps. And you're this hybrid, which I, I couldn't really grab and, and find the angle to understand exactly how you do. For instance, I saw that you were promoting an exfiltration. So you're promoting a third part, which is then inside your full process. So I guess you must have a, a kind of partnership. And I'm wondering, how do you define yourself in that market? We define ourselves as a solution provider. Some of those solutions are proprietary and internal. Some of them are the best available off the shelf. Some of them are conventional. At some time, solutions for a customer can mean a complete process, an entire plant, or it can mean a singular unit operation. It can often start with an engineering study or pilot study. So we do know that some analysts and others struggle to fit us in a box. Being innovators and entrepreneurs, we tend not like to be fitted in a box. Our focus is for our customers, solutions for the customers, not necessarily for how the analysts might like to put us into a box. Then let me play one of your customers. So first tell me, who am I if I'm your typical customer? Our typical customer, you'd be often these days, you're a blue chip manufacturer or a large mining company. You have an industrial wastewater, you're trying to either expand your plant or your mine or maintain your license to operate. And you have a discharge problem. My struggle is that I'm not allowed to discharge anymore or I, I don't meet the quality for the discharge and hence I'm looking for a better solution and I come to you. Correct, correct. Often the drivers these days are economic expansion. You may have a factory, you're looking to boost capacity. One of the bottlenecks in boosting that capacity is you'll have too much discharge, too much TDS in your discharge or too much of a specific eye in your discharge. And that's where we help client attack those bad actors get them out of their discharge, recycle water, and then they can put more kit under their hood and produce more outputs from their factory. And the same is true for mines. But so you would really take me by the hand and start by analyzing my problem, probably analyzing my water sample and tell me that's the treatment train you need. Exactly. Often we do it in a consultative environment with our clients. So we'll provide them with options, right? So they may have three options and just like people, they all have their pros and cons. And we help the client walk through that and understand it. And then um, that helps them orientate their compass. And then once their compass is orientated, depending on their risk appetite, we can jump in and build a full-scale plant. Or we can also help them with a pilot to de-risk and help them build the business case internally. So there's the pilot, you convince me, and I, I want to go for the full-scale, so I hire Saltworks to do the full-scale. What is the typical way I would hire you? Is it a CapEx sale, so I buy your system, or is it a different business model? Sure. Again, it's the solution that the customer needs. 
So we're fortunate that we can be very flexible in that regard. We will do CapEx sales, and most of our blue chip customers prefer a CapEx sale over water as a service. We have done CapEx sales with operations bolted on the back end, including remote support operations. We're open to water as a service, and we can finance plants. We haven't done a lot of that yet. We found that our customers are less interested in that today. As the industrial wastewater recycle field matures, you may start to see it going increasing that way as ultra pure water has gone that way. Some clients, specifically oil and gas, they're more interested in the service model. But most of our clients, the factories and the mine sites, much prefer the capital sale. I'm a bit surprised, honestly. A couple of weeks ago, I had Jonathan Rohn, the CEO of Axion Water Technologies, which might be your neighbors one way or the other in Vancouver. And, and their business model in this industrial wastewater treatment words. It's not the same wastewater that they treat. They are more in the pharmaceutical field, but they are 100% wastewater as a service. So why, if I seem not to know much myself, because you know, I'm now a, a mine, why would I not prefer that wastewater or water treatment as a service model? Why do I want to have this CapEx sale? We'd have to ask them. And Jonathan Rohn and Axine are a fantastic company, also located in Vancouver, BC, part of our water cluster. And you're spot on. It's a different industry. Theirs tends to be much smaller, higher strength flows that customers are putting in trucks and driving to incinerators. Ours, okay, so it's a volume question. Yeah. Ours tends to be our customers. And I think this is one of the reasons what drives them to a capital sales. They'll de do deep due diligence because if their industrial wastewater plant isn't working, they have to bottleneck production. You can't just call up a truck to, to drive away 1,000 cubic meters a day. And so they're much more embedded in the decision and the risk. And it might be fine and dandy for a water as a service company to come by and say, you know, we've got your problem, we'll take care of it. Well, what happens if they can't? And so you, your blue chip customers, they extract always lithium, or do they also extract other kinds of, of salts, minerals, metals from their wastewater? I'll categorize the market in, in two buckets. Our blue chip and industrial water recycling customers and our mine sites, we're not extracting lithium for any of them. We're extracting water and minimizing their waste brine products. So to minimize what either whether it be a storage pond, minimize how many how much residuals they need to truck away at the end of the day, or find novel ways to recycle. Our lithium customers are just purely in the lithium industry. We are starting to see some crossover and a tremendous amount of interest in those who have found lithium in their wastewater. We probably get half a dozen emails a day from somebody who suddenly discovered lithium in their wastewater. And so we have to be quite uh, careful with it. An interesting field that I'm keeping an eye on, and I encourage others to keep an eye on, is the petrolithium space. There are some oil and gas produced waters with decent quantities of lithium in them. They'll have their challenges, but they also have their advantages. They have infrastructure in place. The water's already brought to surface. They have disposal wells for the brine reject, unlike a greenfield lithium mine where they may not even have roads to the site. So that started a crossover. We'll see how it unfolds. Both are nascent industries. Saline industrial water recycling is relatively new, just as advanced lithium extraction is relatively new. But it's an exciting time to be in the industry. And there's no doubt a market demand out there. And if I zoom out a bit, your first idea was to look at the municipal water. And then you happened to find your product market fit in the industrial world. And you're striving in the industrial world. But would you at some point be interested in returning to your first love somehow and, uh, and go into this municipal part of the sector? It's, it's actually really interesting you ask that. It's a conversation among employees. Our employees are very proud of what they do and, and what they get to uh, do every day at work. And uh, we absolutely feel that we're providing value to the planet. One thing we have not done is provided value back to humanity, human beings. That may happen one day. However, first we have to continue to grow, increase our strength and increase our might and our scale. 
once that's under control, then we can look at getting back into water for humans. But in the meantime, we are laser focused on protecting the most important water resource for humans, rivers, lakes, and groundwater. If society protects those, they protect water for millennia. You mentioned you would still have to grow up. How big is SaltWorks today? So we're a hundred people by headcount. That's the core. Most of our team's technical. So engineers, chemists, and then really good builders. But then we subcontract out a lot of work. And if you include our subcontractors, that headcount may become 200 to 250. And you're assembling out of Vancouver. We are. I'm speaking to you from our factory, which is also our headquarters, which is also our pilot site, which is also our R&D and innovation lab. So we're really happy to have everything under one roof here. And what is your reach worldwide today? Do you have plans a bit everywhere? Primarily, we're focused on North America. Uh, specifically the United States. It, it's an excellent market uh, for water technology and a very fair one to play in. But we do have plants elsewhere in the world. We've done some work in Australia and we're increasingly getting interested in that market. We're doing some work in Chile and of course getting pulled into Asia. We'll see how that unfolds. There, there, there's a red threat. If there are some mines, if you have a good business, so Australia, Chile, that sounds like, like pretty logic. And if you expand into petrochemical, then I guess Middle East becomes a natural place to, to strive next. You're spot on. You're characterizing the future well. I've watched one of your YouTube videos where you were presenting Saltworks and you were saying that Saltworks resembles a tiny little company which has similar roots and that tiny little company was G Water, now Suez, soon Veolia. And I was wondering if that is the path you would envision for Saltworks or if you have different ambitions Sure. So um, on a technical admiration point of view, absolutely. All of those three companies have just amazing technical people. And I've got to say they have honest technical people, which is refreshing in the water industry. So we really appreciate the opportunity to compete against the new family that is GE, Suez, and Veolia. We'll never be to their size. We'll never get into services and variety of services to the extent that they do. Our ambition is to deliver full solutions just as they do. Um, with specific unit operations turbocharged. So we've had the benefit of being able to design our plants and our technologies and our production around modernized technology without a lot of legacy. And that's what our customers really appreciate too. So with us, they'll get a, a process that is turbocharged relative to its conventional pathway. And if I look on the horizon, I'm making my mind since I'm wondering if I could think of a different company which would be so aligned with ES and G. I mean, you have a bit of all the elements of that, and we all know that ESG investment is, is a strong tailwind for all the companies doing good somehow right now. I, I promise I'm not pushing you in a corner here. I'm just wondering, what is your North Star metric? What defines success for you and for SaltWorks? Ultimately, it's saving industrial customers money. If we can make it more cost-effective for customers to recycle their industrial wastewater, that will increase adoption. If we save, help more customers save money, we increase adoption, we increase scale, we increase reach. So that these technologies that the team has worked so hard to develop and put into production have a greater reach. So scale. And that goes for both industrial water recycling, but also helping to extract more lithium to keep those battery plants full and to help penetration of EVs. You mentioned adoption. What is the biggest hurdle you've met when it comes to adoption of your technology? We definitely went through the valley of death. The hurdles are multiple, but it can depend on the customer. It could be that your balance sheet's not big enough. It could be that the solution, the advantages are not compelling enough over conventional technology. Now, with the rise of ESG, and especially 
um, the concern that shareholders are showing over the environmental risks that their companies hold, that's starting to change. And this is why it's a very exciting space to be in. The Church of England has done more for the industrial wastewater reuse sector, in my view, than any regulator has or ha ever has. And it, they, they did so because they amassed a group of other shareholders who got very concerned about the water risk a certain industrial company was facing. And then all of those shareholders started to speak with that large industrial company about it. And uh, it's really helped that industrial company focus on addressing their water risks. It wasn't a regulator. It, it's fascinating. First, it tells you how much of a layman I, I am really in that topic, because to me, I would have thought that policy is the obvious wind in your tails, because policy must have to force industrials to, to treat their, their water to a certain standard. And here you jump in with a better solution and a better mousetrap. But the story of the Church of, of England, that, that, never heard that. So. <laughs> yeah, it was the, their pension fund. And they're a relatively small institutional investor. But then when the likes of BlackRock and other massive institutional investors start listening to this, it's changed the tide. And, you know, being honest, within these large industrial companies, there's a lot of people who really do care and a lot of people who are working hard to improve sustainability. And that groundswell is, is growing. Previously, if I heard the term CSG before it was ESG, as part of a business case, I would tune out. Like, okay, this is never going to turn into a purchase order. But now we're really starting to see that tide shift. And it's a combination of new blood in these companies. It's a combination of increased emphasis on sustainability. So there's a, a perfect storm forming. And, and, and it's a good thing. What we're finding is just as companies who uh, get off paper save money, those who can learn to recycle their industrial wastewater sooner may actually find that it makes them more profitable in the future. Thanks a lot for having been my, my guide in, in, in that deep dive. I have to say, I didn't lie to you in the sense that I was a muggle when I started. I'm, I'm still layman when we end the deep dive, but it's a fascinating word. And um, I'd be happy to explore it a bit further. So maybe I'll have a new set of questions when I'm a bit more seasoned in the topic in, in some months. But it, it sounds to be uh, really a fascinating area. I think you're being humble and it is a fascinating area. If that's fine with you, I propose you to switch to the rapid fire questions. Please. It's time for the rapid fire questions. So in that last section, I tried to keep the, the questions short and the aim is for you to have the answers short as well, but I'm not cutting the microphone, like never. And my first question is, what is the most exciting project you've been working on? A stealth technology development underway right now. I'm back in the garage and I'm sorry, I can't tell you what, but it's uh, reignited the fire in my belly and a lot of the team. Okay, that is whether the, the best teaser ever or, or really frustrating, but okay, I take it. <laughs> Can you name one thing that you've learned the hard way? Pick your partners carefully. And when I define partners, that's investors, that's partner vendors, that's customers and employees. You know, test drive them, crack the hood, beat the bush. The best and worst things I've done have all been through picking either the best or worst partners. So do you have a scary story here? One I probably shouldn't get into, but I have a lot of successful stories. Our senior management team is excellent, 100% retention. They're incredible. We have some fantastic partners and some incredible investors. I've certainly had to take a few U-turns and have some scars along the way. Pick your partners carefully. Is there something you are doing today in your job that you will not be doing in 10 years? Hopefully not negotiating contract terms and conditions. It's crazy how often that answer comes. <laughs> what is the trend to watch out for in the water sector? Industrial water recycle. There's a lot of a lot going on in municipal wastewater recycle, industrial wastewater recycle. It's uh, growing at an incredible rate and some very interesting things are happening. If you were 
a world political leader, what would be your first action to influence the fate of the world's water challenges? Stop using our rivers and oceans as a trash bin. Start in Asia. And I'm adding a new rapid fire question today, which was proposed to me by John Robinson from Mazarin Ventures. What is your definition of the water industry? If you find it tricky, complain to John. <laughs> I would define the water industry as a group of highly committed individuals who give a lot of extra sweat to try to do something positive for people on the planet. It's easier to make money elsewhere. And finally, would you have someone to recommend me that I should definitely invite on that same microphone? Joe Lowry. He's not in the water industry, but he's a lithium expert. And there's a lot of overlap. Well, Benjamin, it's been a pleasure, really. Thanks a lot for guiding me into all of that. If people want to follow up with you, where shall I redirect them the best? Our website, saltworkstechnologies.com or saltworkstech.com. Or they can also email us at projects at saltworkstech.com. So as usually, the, the links are in the description. So if you're listening to this right now, have a look at the episode notes. You'll find all the links. I'm not sure I would advise your website because that's how I ended up spending hours reading pages, blogs, watching videos. I mean, it's a treasure of resources. So I'm joking when I say I don't recommend it because really it's a well-thought website. But be prepared. You might be hooked. Thank you. We do know it's dense. And, and thank you very much for having me on. And for all you do, it, it's wonderful that you're out there representing the water industry and trying to tie us together and, and doing your part. So thank you so much. Well, thanks a lot. And I think we will have that, that sequel at some point. Maybe the day your stealth development comes out of the garage. Ah, I'll keep that in mind. Maybe I could be, this could be the first one. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.